You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode, and today sat with Carl Martin of Sign Service, uh, 30 plus, 34 years Yeah, we've been in business, you've been in business, um, in the sign business around Oklahoma City, uh, you know, very successful business, been around a long time, and, and a lot of people know you in the city. Uh, did, were you born here? Yes, I was. Yeah, so family, all Born all in friends. Oklahoma City, uh, raised in Oklahoma City, and then moved out the east side of the state okay went to school at meeker where would you go to school? meeker where's that uh it's out close to shawnee okay a little bit uh, north of shawnee okay was that high school uh, high school there did some voag in town of shawnee got you um so yeah i've been been around here my my grandfather on both sides were kind of almost homesteaders here so yeah uh, that's really cool We've, we've been in the state a long time. Yeah. Have you track, tracked it back to see where everyone's come from? Uh, we've worked on it a little bit. Uh, they're kind of a diverse family on uh, my mother's side, of course. And uh, they came in here from Missouri and just shortly after the land run. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandfather, his history goes back uh, somewhere back east and then back overseas. Right. Uh and we've not really been able to track that one too far. Yeah. Yeah, some things that you can track them all the way back, and others, it's like, oh, done. Yeah. We don't know who that is. Or they got a name change or whatever yeah. it is, or worked for somebody, changed their this name. This person just happened. Yeah, they just showed up. <laughs> yeah. Like, one day they came home. Uh, that's really cool. To so, you know, like I said, always been here. Family's always been here, and always been in the kind of agricultural side as well. And you just mentioned that. That's sure. always been a family passion. Yes. Yeah. How, how, what was the first time, like, were you just into it from, you know, family, dad was in it? Um, my father actually, um, he grew up in Pawnee, Oklahoma, uh-huh. which is up north. Um, and they, they had farms there and where my grandfather worked in the oil field. And then when he graduated, um, he traveled and then went to work for Oklahoma Natural Gas and he retired from there. So, uh, the farming really wasn't so much in his blood, um, but I was back and forth with the grandparents and, um, uh, we we did grow up on a small acreage, yeah. So uh, was always around it and just just always enjoyed the outdoors and being being part of that environment. Back when kids played outside, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we didn't know what TV was, right? No social media or any of that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. So I've pretty much been all around the state then. Yes. What um, you know, did you when you went to high school did. You, you came out of high school. Did you go to college or did you go straight to work? I did not. Uh, I came out of high school with a, a degree in uh, diesel mechanics. Okay. And so I went to work for some dealerships in Shawnee area. Yeah. Uh, then went did some work for some uh, the Ford tractor industry. And uh, there was I, I saw a guy out welding one day, and it just looked like such a cool deal. He was out there all by himself, kind of calling his own shots, and I thought that'd be really fun. So uh I went to a trade school after high school and got a degree in uh, metallurgy and welding. Uh, got certified in, in several different types of welding and um, 
then just kind of started my own business as a welder. Found out that uh, there's still a lot of work involved. Oh, yeah. It was cool, but there was a lot of work involved. Yeah. And uh, once I got married and started to have a family, it wasn't, wasn't the kind of work that I wanted to be involved in. And so uh, we just, my wife and I were driving around Oklahoma City one night, and we said, look at all the signs that are out that need repair. And we could do that. And at that point, we had equipment that we could yeah. do it with in our welding service. So um, made a few calls and got an invite to uh, one of my first ones was to go to work for uh, Kermagee Corporation. Okay. And we traveled over five states and took care of their imaging at their gas stations. Yeah. That was our start into the... Pretty cool first contract. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was our start into the sign industry. And, of course, I've been through several transitions with those guys. They went through Conoco and Phillips. Yeah. And now we handle mostly national account work. Okay. Uh, Stuff is predetermined and shipped to us, and we handle the installation and the maintenance. Right. Um, so seen it all then from the science yeah. stuff everything going digital now as well with yes. all the interactive kind of signs that you see everywhere now too we do a lot of uh, a lot of digital boards we install a lot of digital boards um, yeah it's it's a fast moving market uh, the stuff that we originally put up obviously was uh, click switches and today it's driven by um, basically the cloud right yeah uh, oh, the almighty cloud, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, and when we're converting some of the, what what they call the older stuff, which is five years old, we're converting some of it to run off of cellular. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a fast moving. That's really cool to be in that and to see it all. And like, I'm a big car fan, a big car guy. So our friends who have in their car garages, they have, you know, all the awesome neon signs. Right. Of, of whatever it is or... Um, you know, like the big kind of car signs, the gas station signs, and stuff like that. Is that do you like? Do you collect those as well? I do. Yeah. And uh, I, I do enjoy working on the neon, and uh, it's a it's an art form. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of a, a fading um, art, if you will. Um, there's so much that is when involved in it, and the expense of it. That it's like, it's like anything. It's it's almost um, imploded on itself. Uh, we still produce neon, but it's not the neon that that was originally produced. Uh, original neon, 50, 60, 70 years old, is still good neon. Yeah. And it has to do with uh, the distillation of the mercury. Uh, neon will run on double distilled mercury, and it doesn't cost near as much as tripled. Okay. But if you got triple distilled mercury, it, it won't burn inside the tube, and it will it will run 50, 60 years. Yeah. Uh, nobody puts triple distilled mercury in a neon tube anymore, so we get four to five years out of it. Why is that? Expense. Oh, is that that's that's yeah. Good. We're talking eighty dollars an ounce uh, compared to like three hundred and something dollars an ounce uh, difference in yeah. the mercury. Yeah. And uh, and the effort to pump it clean enough that the triple distilled mercury doesn't become contaminated. Right. So, uh, but yes, I I actually refurbish old old antique signs. Um, one of one of our favorites, and I like to talk about it once in a while, is National Saddlery and Stockyards. Right. Um, that company went in business in 1927. Uh, we're not sure exactly when they bought the neon sign, but I have rebuilt that neon sign a couple of different times That's and really refurbished cool. it back to as close to original as we could possibly put it. Yeah. And uh, 
it's all bright and shiny when we put it up, and it takes a couple of years for the paint to patina so that it looks original again. Right. But, uh, that's how they like it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> until the light doesn't come on anymore, and then they call you back up yeah. again to do the whole thing over again. Wow. So that's down at the stockyards? Yes. Okay. That's, I mean, just kind of speaking to you before we started this, and that's, you know, about growing up on the farms and stuff and family being in on that as well. Like, I can definitely see why that is like your passion and just being outside you right know? like it's this pays the bills this is the job but let's talk about that passion because you know you do some amazing things um and for through friends i've heard about what you do and, and you know we're going to get into that in a second but now i can see where that comes from is because you've just grown up always loving being outside right and working on you know the old western stuff that's that I mean, everybody that comes to town needs to drive through the stockyards, even oh, sure. to just drive through, you know? Um, yeah, so so where did that kind of... Did you always work with horses growing up then, with that as well? When I was uh, probably in the seventh grade, we actually moved from Oklahoma City proper to Meeker. And uh, I just wouldn't let it alone, and my folks finally bought us some horses. Yeah. Well, I actually bought a horse. Um it's kind of a unique story. I'd had her probably three months, and we hauled her into school. Back in those days, we had play days, horse play days at school. Yeah. And we would race and barrel race and, and <laughs> senior class against the junior class. And um, so we hauled my little mare to town. Um, I ran her in a what they call a relay race. We came from behind and won. Okay. Brought her home, and the next morning I had a little colt on the ground. Had no idea that she was pregnant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so yeah. um, from then we just, uh, you know, it was through the process of, of raising that baby and, and getting it broke to ride. And yeah. um, the colt, we called him Flash. Uh, he grew up with us. He thought he was one of us. He played Frisbee with us. He played football with us. Uh, yeah. And through some of that, I, I just... I picked up on the fact that there's a communication uh, between the horses that's nonverbal, and that's been a, that's been a great help uh, through my life with people mm-hmm. as well as other animals. Is that sometimes what we say with body language, we we say louder than anything else. Yeah. And uh, I talk with a, a lot of the kids that we work with about listening with their eyes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, it's. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and then over the years I've had the opportunity to raise a couple of daughters, and they got to be around the horse industry. And then after they graduated high school, I kind of went on the show circuit. Yeah. Took some horses to the world show. Just um, A lot of times people think competition's about winning. For me, competition was about doing better than I did last time out. Gotcha. And... Uh, my goal was, you know, if you if you can reach top ten at the world, you've been there, done that. Um, and I I have a lot of friends that basically have given away their lives to try to be number one at the world, and and right. so they miss out on a lot of their life chasing a dream. Yeah. And uh, I didn't ever want to be one of those people. Uh, however, I respect them for that because it. I mean, there's that's that's their passion. Oh yeah. Is to strive for that top notch. Um, I've, I've been as high as third place in the world and that's, uh, but those achievements really, really pale, um, 
when you start looking at what the horses have done for some of the students that I've worked with. Right. Uh, a lady asked me the other day, she said, why do you not still show? I said, there's, there's way more to this than showing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, showing, showing pays my ego. Um, working with the kids helps the kids and, and I get more back from that than anything I've ever done. Right. So yeah, yeah. The trophy doesn't give you an expression. No, it doesn't, doesn't give you that smile. Uh, one of the experiences early on was my my younger daughter's a registered nurse, and um, she was very active with the horses. and And when we started with uh, Halo, which is Human Animal Link of Oklahoma, um, she was very involved at that point. She was still in college and able to help me. And we would go to uh, Mother's Day outs, at-risk youth centers, uh, children's hospital. We were working with children's hospital, and we had a nurse bring us a child. Mm -hmm. And um, she walked up with the child in her arms, and and as we brought the horse up. Now, there's something that that we've learned through experience. If if you bring me a child that's um, nonverbal and unable to communicate, as far as we know, Mm If I lead that horse into the presence of that child and that child doesn't want that horse there, I can't get that horse any further. Right. There's there's uh, a communication there that I'm unaware of. Yeah. And uh, that this little girl reached up with both hands to pet the horse. And the nurse just broke down. And so later when I was able to, I took her aside and I said, do you mind explaining to me what just happened? And she said, I work eight hours a day, and there's three other nurses that work shifts with me to try to get this child to open her hands. Mm-hmm. And she said, you walked up with a horse, <laughs> and she opened both of them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's phenomenal. Wow. Uh, so, I, you know, there's, there's things that happen in that environment time and time and time again that, that we've got to witness. Yeah. That... Uh, I can't I can't give you an explanation for it, but I can tell you that if I put the two elements together, something will happen good. Right. So. Yeah. Um, so from from having your first horse and then getting Flash and going through that whole process, when did you think? When did the kids start joining? Like when you, you you're showing how sorry showing horses, you're racing a lot, you're you know you're enjoying all that stuff, and then when did you think that I'm going to try the kids stuff? Probably. Oh, I'm going to say it was probably early 2009. Yeah. Uh, my girls were getting close to being gone from home, and uh, I was kind of winding down with with uh, with my show stuff. I had proved to myself that I could, you know, I could be there and do that yeah. with with the best of them, and uh, I just had noticed the the effect that the animals had on children. And with my daughter being a nurse, and mm-hmm. she works as a neonate nurse, um, it was just it was just kind of a, an opportunity. And I think a lot of times in life we're led down paths we don't really understand how we got there, and that's probably one of those. Yeah, uh, it just kind of evolved. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of time spent studying the results, just on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not. When I had to go to school, I had to get a grade. When I watch these horses work with these kids, there's no grade at the end of the day. It's it's just good. Yeah. 
So it was, uh, my grandfather used to say, you can learn a lot more sitting on the fence than you can riding in the saddle. So I've, I've done a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the things that we did along the way with, with the horses is we had um, older children that wanted to be involved. And so they would go with us to the at-risk youth deal, and they would be a handler for us with the horses. Mm-hmm. And I saw those kids come from being very uh, backward, if you will, uh, really unable to speak, unable to communicate with their eye mm-hmm. contact. Um, you put them with a the horse and put them with another child, and they just bloom. Yeah. All of a sudden, they get to be a leader. You get that confidence. One of the little boys that uh, his mother, he was an autistic. His mother brought him, and he could he could talk in three-word phrases, basically. Yeah. So if he changed the subject, I was lost. Um, but we put him with a horse, and, and one of his first deals was I just commented to him. I said, in order to work with a horse, you have to be its leader. And he looked me in the eye, and he said, that's one thing I'll never be. And uh, worked with him for maybe nine months. Mm-hmm. And his mother brought me a letter from his teacher. Now, at one point, they had taken him out of school because they had deemed him unable to fit into that environment. Um, and we worked with him a couple of months, and he was able to go back to school. And then his mother brought me a letter from the teacher, and I keep a copy of that just as something that I can look back to and see where things went. Mm-hmm. And she said he, he, he got to where he really liked history and the history channel. And the letter from the teacher stated right in it, he excels in classes and, and is a leader in this class. Yeah. And uh, that just that came about from we watched him learn how to handle his disability mm-hmm. and overcome that and become a leader without knowing it. Yeah. Uh, just through through his passion for history. Uh, as, as the last, I understand he is now baggage handler for the air in the airline uh, industry. Okay. So that's that's, so that's another yeah just child that yeah. came from they they basically kicked him out of our society and and yet he's thriving. Yeah, because if if you know the system, and if you guys went there, he's lost in the system right. doing something. Or not doing anything. Right. It's you know? it's just, it's easier. Maybe if I gave you a little background, that might help understand the, the effect that he had. He would have outburst, which a lot of those children are known mm-hmm. for, and it would be disruptive to class. So mm-hmm. as a parent, I'm, I'm very aware of that side of, you know, if I've got a student that's trying to learn and somebody's being so disruptive they can't. Right. Uh, you have a, you have a, uh, responsibility to me as well, mm-hmm. um, but to just remove them from society was was really not the answer. Yeah, it's the it's the quick easy fix. Right. It's just, but it's cruel because it's like someone's giving up on him already. Right. And not wanting to put in the effort of doing what should be done. And we we put him. One of the things that he that then a lot of autistic children are known for is their stimulus is very high so it takes very little to overstimulate them and so in that point they shut down to protect themselves mm-hmm. um, so i just told his mother when she asked if she could bring him that yeah she you can bring him 
the one thing that will happen is when he comes through the back door of the barn at night to work with the horse, it will be different every time. There mm-hmm. will not be, so we're not going to fix it for him. Um, so we would have banners up one time. We would have his horse saddled one time. We would have flags up the next time. Maybe nothing would be there. and We'd have to go to the pasture to catch horses. We, we, we yeah. mixed it up. And he would walk out the back door of the barn and freeze up. And I, I just explained to him, I said, you just do not say anything to him till he fixes himself. Yeah. And then when he's ready to reenter our society, he'll be ready. If, if you talk to him and push him, then you just are loading that sensory yeah, up heavier and heavier. On his figured out on his own, yeah. And uh, he, uh, he just blossomed in that environment. I, we put him with a, with an old that old Palomina horse, and yeah. he and that horse would go out and trot or gallop for 45 minutes, and uh, he developed a sense of balance. He could ride. Um, one of the drills that we do with a horse is if I have a piece of plastic pipe on the ground, and I can tell you without a doubt, that if you ride over that pipe in the saddle and you think about the horse stepping over that pipe, that his hoof, one hoof will click that pipe. Now, if you just look away and trust the horse to take care of that for you, he will never touch that pipe. Okay. So we would put these children on the horse and say, I need you to think about the pipe. We knew if they did or not by the the click. And then we would ask them, don't think about the pipe. Well, we get a click. Oh, you thought about the pipe. Oh, no, I didn't think about the pipe. Yeah. No, we know you did. Yeah. Because the horse won't lie to us. Yeah. So then try it again, you know. And, and when they were finally able to let go and trust, there would be no click. And uh, we used that. My, it was kind of my daughter that determined that, hey, if we use that to have them do something one way and do it the other way, then we can teach them to come and go in their environment. And uh, so that was, it's, it's always just kind of a, when I tell people that they're like, no, that won't work. And then they get on a horse and try it themselves and it will work. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell if you're lying or not. Exactly. (laughs) I just, I, I've horses. I never grown up around horses and I've, friend of mine who's ridden or raced horses and i had like a couple of bad experiences i'm just scared you know being a kid or whatever trying to walk around with the horse and i'm like i first of all i was scared walking up and then you know as you probably already know this you walk up to a scared horse and if you're scared then it's gonna be not gonna be a good experience um and after that i've just kind of like never got back into it right but i think now being out you know in oklahoma and being out here and uh and my wife's like you know let's go ride horses and like to me that sounds like the worst thing ever because i've not done it properly i've never had anyone show me the right way to do it um but i think like there can't be much many things better than riding a horse flat out you know around the field right that's just must be a great feeling it's great as long as you're in control exactly and i would not be in control (laughs) first i probably wouldn't be able to get on it first um well that's been you talked about that one of the things that we use with the children um, when we work with the at-risk youth, usually we try to we try to keep it down to eight to ten, mm-hmm. so that we can stay inv- keep them involved and stay involved in what's going on. But what we will try to do, my daughter and I, we had the two horses. We'd put the horses in a 
uh, temporary round pen that we set up. Uh, we would invite the kids, and, and it, you're going to immediately discover two or three that just were like you are. They mm-hmm. they really don't necessarily care to be there. Yeah. Um, not that we would single them out, but we would draw them out, um, and we we would like to ask them to come. Well, then. I've seen their peers get more out of this session than they do by watching them. But we will take the child and, and, and say, do you want to see the horse? No, I don't want to go there. I said, well, you can say, you can say no, and we allow you to say no at mm-hmm. any time. But can you just do a couple of things for me just to see what we can do? Well, yeah, they'll agree to that. So first off, we ask them for the next 20 minutes, can you trust me and, and can I trust you? And if they say no, we're pretty much done. Right. Because we can't, you can't work without the trust. Yeah. And they'll usually agree to that. And then we say, well, so can you just step into the pen with the horse? You don't have to, you know, he doesn't, he's not going to move. You just step in here. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I can do that. And then say, well, now here's the lead rope. Can you just hold this in your hand? You don't even have to close your hand. Just let me hang it over your hand. Yeah, I can do that. One step at a time. Now, can you put your hand on the horse? Now, can you step up on the step stool? Put your foot in the stirrup, take your foot out, throw your leg over. You're on. Yeah. One step at a time, they achieve their goal. What overwhelmed them was thinking about the whole thing at once. Oh, yeah. I thought I was going to be dragged across the ground, you know, all in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> but if, you, if we take it and we yeah. break it down into one step right. at a time, then yeah. even my goal is, is to hope that the kids, their peers watching, right. will say, man, I could do that. Yeah. I can I could break this down to that. Mm-hmm. That's so simple. Yeah. And uh, with any task. And I'm just that's that's a life lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've we've had children that were terrified, and and then to see them get on. There's one of the deeper elements to the first thing that I do, and I even do this with my adults that come for lessons. If you've never ridden a horse, then you've never found your balance on a live subject. So we'll put the child, the adult, whoever, on board. And, of course, they're holding the saddle horn. Or mm-hmm. if if they're bareback, they've got the mane in their hands and they've got a death grip. Mm-hmm. And they're squeezing the horse and he's uncomfortable. Usually yeah. he's raising his head and telling you, hey, this is, yeah. he knows. This is nervousness. Yeah. Um, but we'll walk around. And as you start to achieve a little bit of a sense of security there, we'll ask to turn loose one hand. Yeah. Hold the saddle horn with one hand and put your other hand on your leg. Then eventually put your other, take that hand off and put both hands on, on each one on each leg. And you will physically see that person feel mm-hmm. their balance. Once that happens, they will trust it. And once they trust that, they have a much more secure seat and a lot of their fears go away. Yeah. But if they never get to experience that, like if I just threw you on and you start uh, riding, yeah, you you always hold on. You'd never experience the feeling of your balance. Yeah. And uh, so, working with a lot of these little guys for years, I had the question: Why does this work? Uh, got the opportunity to talk to some doctors that were brain surgeons, and they shared with me uh, just a random thought. And as I've studied it the last couple of years, it it very well could be. Um, the nucleus of why it all works. But if you put a child, especially a child with disabilities, on a horse and they learn to find that balance, 
that's a reflex. You don't decide you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And then your your mind or the brain takes over and keeps you in balance by a reflex. Yeah. Well, while that's going on, neutron paths are being built that when they exit that environment, they can use those for the next task. And that's, in my mind at this point, the jury's still out on it, but I think that's the nucleus of what it is that really is helping, uh, especially the disability. Go through that. Go through that. new pathways. They're building and, pathways yeah. by reflex, and yeah. then they can use those. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard people talk about having a... a like being in a bad accident and then trying to reuse an arm and they it work it work and work to get it to work. This is a work that we're not aware of. Right. Because uh, to them it's a totally new experience. They've never gone through it before. Right. And now that they have gone through it, like I said, you you can, you can use that experience again. Well, not only the experience, but if if it actually reroutes uh, a pathway in the brain. To allow you to make a move you never made before. Yeah. Um, I've had kids, a lot of autistic kids come and ride that couldn't talk that talk well afterwards. So that's just one of the little examples yeah. of. Uh, and like, you can't put like numbers or words or like, you just can't. You have to you have to see it in right. work. Like only you know that. Or people you've worked with have known that. Like you can't. You know you, you can ask as many people as you want that have gone through it and they're going to tell you it works. But if you go to numbers and paper, everyone's like, you know, right. here's medicine, here's a pill. Um, and I don't, I don't ever want to degrade anybody, but I, I did have a lady that was from the UK. Yeah. Uh, she moved to Oklahoma, um, and through her, the experience with her, I learned something that I was unaware of. Uh, I've known for years that in different parts of the country, we train horses different, we handle horses different, we expect different things out of them. Um, from the part of the country, she was probably around a lot of hunters and jumpers. And yeah. so they're thoroughbred, uh-huh. they're big horses. Um, in that environment, they, they handle their horses, uh, by restraint. They cross tie them. Okay. Um, they will have them tied to a rail. They, they always have the horse in a halter of some kind under strict control. They think, yeah. um, the problem is you and I are neither one or anybody is strong enough to handle a horse on the lead rope. If he decides he's leaving, he's leaving. So we can tie him to something that he can't move, and then his body goes out of control when he has a reaction. And coming from over there, her fear was of being kicked. Uh-huh. Well, if you tie a horse's head continually, the only reaction he can have is to kick, and so he learns to kick. Yeah. And so that, that's why a lot of people grow up here, oh, make a wide circle around the back end of that horse. Well, that's right. why. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that's the fear as well of people who, like myself, who don't have much experience around horses, would think the last thing I want to do is get kicked in the face. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's not, uh, I mean, it's, it's a powerful, oh, it's yeah, not I'm something sure you want to happen. But uh, she came out and brought her, brought her kids, and, and we worked with them a little bit. And then um, she was very unhappy with, with what she saw. Yeah. From from her upbringing, you know, um, we did we handled the horses, and I, I've done this as many demonstrations through some of my clinics. Mm-hmm. The strongest lead rope in the world is no lead rope at all. Right. But if I ask the horse to do something, he'll respond. 
And if I have that kind of a relationship with that horse, he'll look to me when he thinks he's in trouble, he'll look back to me instead of wanting to run away from me. Right. Now, if the only control I've ever had from him is that I'm tied to him, and he decides he's running, he's running. Yeah, you're going. And uh, so uh, I bring our colts and fillies and stuff along with the process of I'm going to worry you with a flag. And the minute that you turn and look at me, I'll make it quit. Mm-hmm. So now you know that you can get me to help you. Right. And then we enter into this relationship where um, a lot of horses, it takes a couple of days and they'll they'll lead anywhere you want them to go without a lead rope. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make them stay um, without a lead rope. Yeah. Uh, and working with, I worked with the dogs as well. Um, if a dog thinks that he is how would you say pleasing you mm-hmm. he'll stay forever yeah but if any one time you break that trust that he's he's actually doing you a favor then he he won't stay <laughs> yeah I, I have a young pup right now and she's definitely like that uh, running around and yeah that you just gotta like i said you gotta work on him build that trust and right. have that relationship and i think it's it's special like the dogs and horses are kind of like the two that really stand out that that you can do that with right i know there's others but those are like the two main ones that you can really have that connection with yes yeah i i did raise uh and and worked for about five years a drug dog as well mm-hmm. um he was from czechoslovakia and uh there's a uh i worked mainly because he was a private search we worked mainly in high schools uh, some some prisons and halfway houses, but mm-hmm. our biggest deal was in high school. And people would ask me, well, why do you do it? One of the principals hit it right on the head at a school that I was working at. And he, we, we went in. Within 45 minutes, we had removed 13 students. Now, I feel bad for those 13 students. But his analogy was... For each one of those you removed, I had 10 others that were on the fence. Oh, yeah. And he said, when we took the 13 that we could finally prove were the culprits out of the mix, he said, I had 130 students that just got better. So the greater good. Yeah. I mean, that's... Mm -hmm. And then even at that point, uh, our recommendation through the company that I was working for was that the students that were caught with whatever it might be, uh, had the opportunity to be rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. Uh, explain to them why, you know, a lot of kids grow up today and they don't know why it's real. They don't know why it's wrong. They just know it's cool. Yeah. They said, that's what we do right now. That's just, that's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I just, I always just hope that if, if you can just put one, you know, there's, there's little single incidents probably all your life as well that you remember and those kind of make you who you are. Mm-hmm. And if we can just put those in front of those kids and get a few of those in there, uh, we win. Yeah. Uh, so how, what's back to the horses? What's happening with you said Halo is is the business, right? That's kind of the one. It is a nonprofit. Not, okay. Um, they do uh, a lot of work in schools, a lot of work at the airports. Okay. Um, they're doing some work with um, um, some of our returning military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hospitals as well. And uh, I am no longer uh, a member of that organization just due to the fact that 
the equine side of it. They're they're more attuned to the uh, canine okay. side of it. So, um, but yeah, they that's a that's a great organization. And uh, the few years that I spent with them, I worked in inner city schools. Mm-hmm. Um, then when we would we would take the horses, uh, a lot of times we were under the halo umbrella when we would go to like children's hospital and those places when my daughter was yeah. along and uh, we we did a lot of uh, back to school days when they were having the kids come into these uh, inner city places for their inoculations and so forth and we'd have the horses there they could ride and yeah. it, it was just a it was a distraction and it, and it worked mm-hmm. uh, i can't tell you how long the lines would be waiting on Two horses to try to ride a thousand kids, but <laughs> <laughs> kept them busy all day. We we would double and triple kids on horses just to get rides in. Yeah. So, uh, so what do you do now? What what's where's it all at now? You still um, at this point? I do um, personal clinics. I have people that that I go to their their barn or their their facility, and and uh, they'll they'll have friends or individuals, or it might even be a fundraiser or so what come in. And uh, sometimes it's individual horses. Sometimes we bring in several horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I do personal lessons. And uh, Tuesday mornings, uh, I have a really unique situation that has just kind of evolved. Um, there's a lady here, and I, I'm going to withhold some names just because it's, uh, you know, I, I don't yeah. necessarily want them on the spot for anything. But uh there was a breed of horse brought into this country in 1994, I believe it was, or 96, called Gypsies. Mm-hmm. And they're from Ireland. And they are after the draft horse, which a lot of people refer to them as the gentle giants. Um, these guys are really good-minded horses, but they're they're bred by the uh, Italians to pull carts. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, they work in the mountains environments, uh, wet, cold. They're 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 not really. This country's a little hard on them because they're 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 made for cold country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they have a lot of hair. Their manes and tails are long and flowing, dragged to ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're tenacious. And if you don't have their respect, you have a wreck on your hands. And uh, I got an invite out to work with uh, some of these type of horses because the environment had become um, not good, let's say. Um, and people were afraid, and the horses were taking advantage of that. And it took probably 45 minutes, the first one of these gypsies that I worked with, to get her respect. Uh, when I when I went into the pasture, she came after me with her ears back, and I went after her. Yeah, and she wasn't used to that. Yeah, and uh, I had my lariat with me, and I just made a motion towards her, and yeah. and she skidded to a stop, and I made another motion towards her, and she started to run. As long as I keep her feet moving, I'm the winner. Right. And she had a little filly by her side at this point, and she had driven everybody out of her paddock. I mean, she was the queen of this area, and no questions asked. Yeah. And eventually, I just kept pushing her, and she would never drop her head and, and honor me in any way. And I wasn't running, but I, I was just a continual steady pace. I never gave her a break. Finally, she did drop her head. We were 45 minutes in, mm-hmm. and uh, 
I started to walk up to her, and as I got close, she went to strike again. And I just basically, you just kind of come unglued. Yeah. A lot of noise, a lot of motion, just a little explosion. Yeah. And you have to be more explosive than she is to counter that. And, of course, she left. The next time she stopped, she had her head down, which is a sign that, I, I hesitate to say that because some people see a horse put their head down, they think that's it. No, it's it's in a, in a reaction situation, this is a bow. All right. And uh, I walked up. She allowed me to halter her. Now, I've been around them enough to know that the first time she catches me off guard, she's going to try to dominate me again. So after I get the halter on, I slide my arm along her neck where that I can control her facial area. And I take a deep breath and pretend to relax. Yeah. That's the operative word is pretend to yeah. relax. And she tried to bite. Yeah. And uh, at that point, I had another one of those explosions and let her go. I mean, yeah. the lead rope's on, but you're gone. Yeah. You're out of my area. And the next time she came in, we were good. Um, you always have to watch because a horse will always test their dominance. That's what they do to each other all day long, so it's never going to change. Right. And if I'm not aware of that, you know, if I think this is my pet, they're going to run over me. Yeah. So, but we got through it with her. Uh, they had eight or nine of those gypsies on the place. Took them to the show at the fair. Um, it was pretty phenomenal that the program, I go out one day a week and do a clinic. The owners of the horses work them during the week. And, uh, it's for them it's not always an everyday deal it's not like a show barn right so in order for them to take horses in six months from something that would try to kill you yeah to the fair and show and win ribbons was phenomenal yeah (laughs) wow is every process different with every with different like every horse different to some extent yeah um what you find is is they're just like people. They have different attitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes. But do you, do you just have a set set way of, okay, I'll try this. If this works, no. Can you just keep going down the list? Uh, not really. Um, what you learn over the years is um, it's cause and effect. And they know from the time they're born um, – I'm going to make a statement here that if you ever get the opportunity to watch, you'll you'll have a better understanding for mm-hmm. it. The day the, the filly or the colt is born, the mother never looks out for that filly or colt in as far as whether they're going to step on them or not. It's that colt's responsibility to stay out of mom's way. Okay. So he reads mom. He's, he's born reading mom's every blink, her every balance, her every ear flick. He stays out, and if you watch them run across the pasture, they're like a mirror, side by side. Mom never steps on the baby, but mom doesn't care. She's going where she's going, and the baby is all. So knowing that, you can use that to teach. That colt will respond to stay out of your way. Mm -hmm. And once he understands that you understand, now you have a language that you can communicate in. And it's nonverbal. Yeah. Um, I teach a lot of my clients. You see people leading a horse at a horse show, and 
um, they want to turn to the right and they're on the left-hand side of the horse and it looks clumsy and uncomfortable. But if they would simply take their eye and act like they could see the horse's right hip over top of the horse, the horse will automatically turn out of the way. Because that's what mom did. She just kind of looked, I'm going that way, and the horse said, I'm, well, i got to move. Yeah. So if you look, you, you can control that horse on the ground with your eye. Mm-hmm. And, your, of course, your, it causes your body language to speak. And uh, so that, that was one of the things that allowed us to take these gypsies to the show. Uh, the ladies were very good at turning their heads and looking and, and pushing pressure on their horses. Their horses stayed out of their way. Right. Um, we went to what they call a liberty class. So they turned the horses loose. You walk, trot, lope, canter, buck, whatever. You, you show your horse at liberty. Most people that do that will chase their horse with a whip to get their horse to respond. We called around and tried to find a judge that would school us on what they were the judge themselves were really looking for, and we couldn't get a definite answer. And so I sat down with the ladies one day and I said, "Look, we're going to design our own, and we're going to up, we're going to raise the bar. Yeah. You have two minutes to show your horse to music, and then you have a minute to catch your horse and exit the arena. After you've scared your horse to death with a whip for two minutes, a minute's not enough time to catch it. Sometimes. It's not. <laughs> so I told these ladies, I said, when you get through showing your horse." You're going to ask your horse, and your horse is going to come catch you. Yeah. And at the first, the very first show they ever went to, they showed their horse. They they trotted, they loped, they bucked. They they did all the hair, yeah. You know the hair flying everywhere. The music cut off. They raised their hand and took a step back, and the horse walked up and caught them, and they put the halter on and and got that was an amazement. Got standing ovations. Yeah. Because it wasn't anything people were used to seeing. It was like. So the difference is when you don't understand the language of the horse and you have to chase it to get the opportunity you want, the horse is fearful. Yeah. If you learn to ask your horse, he will perform for you simply on you asking with your eyes. Right. And uh, I can, I've taught people, I mean, you've seen this, they drive a horse at the hip with a whip. Mm -hmm. That's not where you should drive the horse. It's right behind the front shoulder. If I'm on the ground and a horse is going around me in a circle and I want him to go faster, I push behind his shoulder. Okay. He can go forward. If I push on his hip, I'm making him want to turn his hip out and face me. Gotcha. So, yes, I can make him go forward by whipping his hip, but I'm but putting him in a jam all the whole time. Yeah, it's movie stuff. Then. And it is. So yeah. simply by looking behind his shoulder, I can make him go forward. Looking at his hip, I can turn him around and bring him right to me. Yeah. If you step towards a horse, he's going to step back. If you step back, he'll step towards you. So that's that's what mom taught him as a little guy. Right. If you use that, you can talk to him. Yeah. Wow. Um, so awesome. in that environment, we took those horses and we went to the fair, Oklahoma State Fair. Um, brought home ribbons, you know, and they're showing against people that it's. I mean, they, that's what it's they do. Fashion. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, yeah. They, they were bringing horses out of the pasture and showing them against show barn horses. Oh, wow. Uh, but at the same time, the comment came up. Um, there was a little boy in this mix that was uh, had cerebral palsy. Mm. And uh, 
it was determined that my daughter and I had worked with the therapy session some. So it was asked, could one of these horses be a therapy horse? Yeah. And my first deal is, why not? You know? Yeah. What makes a horse a therapy horse? Um, they have to have a good um, disposition. And, and I'm going to share this story with you because this shows you that sometimes we're not ready for what's really in, right. our, in our environment. One of the first times we went to the state fair, we took a little mare. All of the others did very well, and this little mare came apart. She could not handle that environment. She was too nervous. She would simply scream and run to the fence. She would look for her her buddies. Uh, You couldn't take her and go do anything with her. Mm -hmm. She proved that right away. And this is kind of funny because just this morning at my clinic this morning, I found out that one of the ladies that was there knew the lady that had owned this horse originally, and she could not believe that we were going to try to use this horse for a therapy horse. She said she's way too hot and she'll never come down. But what I discovered when I was working with her one-on-one was she would lock into me. Her confidence is not very high. She's a real low-confidence horse. So she's looking for a leader. And if you're going to be the leader, I'm going to be in your pocket all day long. Well, now that we know that, we're going to use it. So I got to leading her around the property without a lead rope. Yeah. And if I cross my feet when I take a step, she'd cross her front feet. And if I'd back, she'd back. If I'd stop with a foot in the air, she'd stop with a foot in the air. She'd mirror my every move. Yeah. So then we take, it's as simple as taking like a um, parking cone and setting it on her back. Mm-hmm. And she'd go to move. And eventually that parking cone, because it's a live motion, is going to migrate one way or the other. Well, as it would start to migrate, she would stop and try to catch it. Yeah. That tells me that if I put a child on her back and that child was starting to fall, she's going to stop and try to catch that. That's that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. That's um, So for the last nine months, and, and uh, this little horse has been, and she comes to the gate on Tuesday mornings. Uh, she wants to get in the trailer and go to the barn to be... Yeah. Her have her therapy sessions. The downside to her is is that she has this anxiety of separation from her herd. Okay. So my suggestion was was if we're going to use her, we have to have another horse involved. End of story. Right. No no deviation. So we go to the barn. We haul another one of the horses with her. Now when we're in that barn environment. If that other horse, we've tested her, if that other horse even walks out the door, we no longer have a therapy horse. Okay. But as long as that other horse is inside that facility, doesn't have to be close. But just there. Just there. Yeah. That's her security that I'm I'm still a herd, and she has been perfect. Yeah. Um, kids will squeal. Some horses, that startles them. That takes the horse out of the therapy program. Mm-hmm. Um, this little mare, you'll have spontaneous squeals and whatever, and, and you, you, they, she knows it's coming, and um, she's yeah. that aware of her environment. It doesn't, you know, there's no startling her, no affecting her. Right. Um, she's the right size. I mean, she had everything going on. Yeah. So the lady I was telling you about that talked to me this morning that said that they they had the, the previous owner had had this horse and said, oh, there's nothing you could ever do with that horse. She's too high strung." The fact that she was high strung was her separation anxiety. 
And they were trying to take her and go show her and ride her outside of what she could handle. And as soon as we started using that horse inside what she can handle, she's out of nine or ten, she's hands down way ahead of all the others. She has the size and the the attitude and the... um, Just by figuring out how to talk, speak your language and figure right. out what's, what, you know, what, what's, what's going on. And we've, we've even, um, experimented with her a little bit and it doesn't matter which horse we take. Yeah. Just have one. Just there. has to have one in it. But it, we do draw from the herd that she's a part yeah. of. Uh-huh. We just have to have a buddy with her. And now this speaks to the kids that I see that can't fit into some environments we just put the right things together and she has an environment that she excels at. And if we could take some of these kids and figure out the environment they need to be in, they could excel as well. Yeah. And, uh, that's just kind of the word my passion is, is to, right. it's, it's so cool. To I want to see it in person. I'm going to have to come and see you in person. You'll have, it's, it's so we'll have cool. to get together and yeah. get you a chance to go out and see yeah. that work. And cause if I, if I go home tonight and I tell my wife, Hey, by the way, like, I've said this up. You get to ride this. She would love me for the rest of my life. She, she's always talked about getting back on a horse. Well, I'll, I'll put you but, in that uh, environment. Yeah, she, she would love that. Uh, yeah, I know that. That'd be awesome. Um, wow. How? So if if someone listening or family member or knows of a, a child that has disabilities that has, you know, just stuff that you work with, how do they reach out? How do they get involved? Um, they can contact me. Um, I'll give you a phone number, mm-hmm. 659-2314, um, and it's a 405 area code. Uh, I'm At the present time, I have pretty much all that I can handle, but uh, I'm always open to mm-hmm. looking to see if we can find an environment. Uh, I have several clients that have purchased horses, um, and with the proper help and training, uh, they have been able to use those horses with their children. Um, so yeah, it you've got to start somewhere, um, and it's uh, the biggest thing is 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 to to get the the proper training, uh, the proper evaluation. Um, I have people all the time that own horses and and they keep training and training and training a horse and it, the horse was doesn't have that aptitude. Uh, it's like me running a hundred yard dash. I can train for years and and everybody's <laughs> going to beat me, but. Um, I might be able to see the runners in the hundred yard dash yeah. with a clearer eye than somebody else, you know. Yeah. So, um, it's I've I work with people that uh, ladies that do a lot of barrel racing. Um, we talk about finding the right balance um, when you're riding for the to to stay out of the horse's way. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think that just means move your leg or this or that, but there's there's it, it goes so much deeper than that. Yeah. Um, and, and we're in their way in our mind. And uh, I don't, I, I can't tell you, I wished I could, how they can sense us, how they can read us. But if you're, if you're riding a horse and you want to go somewhere, if you know that's where you're going, the horse will take you there. It's so fascinating, isn't it? Like, but if, if, you, if you're barrel racing and you look at the barrel you're going around, the horse doesn't know where he's going next. Gotcha. you. You need to be looking back. You need you need to be on. You need to be gone. He yeah. he knows where that barrel is, and he can go around it. But you need to be already going to the next one to help take him there. So that's why when you watch them race, they're always the heads always up. Like that's the, exactly the right. Head is always up looking exactly like they're never. Um, 
it's almost like they're doing it without even watching. Right. Like they just like their eyes are bang. Uh, if you if you go to back up a horse and you turn your head, you will you will affect your horse. So you need to look back. Okay. See what's behind you. Know that it's clear, and then flip your mind while you're looking forward, and know you're going backwards, and he will take you there. Yeah. Backwards. Yeah. But if you're worried that you're going to step into a fence or on a bucket or something, yeah, he's he's out. Yeah. He's he's worried too. Wow. That's uh, just fascinating. And it it's really uh, they, like I said, a, a horse won't lie to you. Mm-hmm. If he's been abused, um, oftentimes I'll go to places to help people with a horse that they can't put their hand up over its head. And I, I, I can't ever tell you because we don't communicate on that level it, mm-hmm. what happened. But somebody instilled a fear of, of you reaching my head. Right. Now it becomes my responsibility, if you will, to earn enough trust the only way that I can do that is by asking the horse to be a participant. Um, I tell people a lot of times when you walk up to a horse, the first thing you want to do is reach out and touch him. When you reach for him, he said, "I'm a, you're a predator, I'm prey. Yeah. You're reaching. Yeah. The best thing you can do is put your hands down, take a half step back, and he'll come and catch you. It's it's basically reverse of, of how, because right. we're, we're prey animals in, yeah. in all their respect. Um, when we speak that language, that's that half step back, we earn trust. It's true respect, isn't that? It is. To the purest form. Uh, and that's that's what has happened with so many horses. They they take the fear that even you mentioned you feel. Yeah. And they use that against you because you're not confident. So they get to be the leader. Right. And they don't know what's going on either. But they know they can push you around. Yeah. Once you start to show them that you you can communicate with them and you earn that respect um i've had the liveliest wooliest wildest horses and a a good friend of mine from australia he he breaks and starts a lot of colts he told me one time the ones that give up the most once they have they give the most Mm. you get the most out of them so he and I are on that same page. Sometimes I take the ones that nobody wants to be around, and I can get you. They're they're just ready to give you their if, energy. That yeah, if you yeah. if you can get in their mindset, you can just take it and go. Yeah, and uh, it's it's just uh, it's something new every day. Mm-hmm. What's next for <clears throat> you know all the work that you're doing with the kids? What's the next for like you know, where do you see it going? Where would you like it to go? Probably uh, just. Pretty much like it is. Yeah. The, the one-on-one experience, um, you know, at this one particular barn where the gypsies are at, they're, they're, they invite people in. Um, I get to see kids with all different kinds of handicaps, and some of those kids will blow your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a little girl come that her disability was she had no use of her arms, so she can't hold a lead rope, really. Per se, yeah. she can't help herself get off or on. Her goal was was to ride a horse. She not only rode that horse, she taught herself, and we taught the horse right along with her how that she could mount and dismount, and how that she could go forward, left, and right turn and stop without any hands, yeah, without a bridle. Wow, was he used just using her feet? Using heels? her feet yeah. and her body. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, I used to watch little kids go out with the horses. 
moms and grandmas will be having a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. But I've seen little little kids walk out and grab the the big old horse around the front leg and stand and talk to them. And when the horse gets ready to move, it'll swing its head up in their face. The first thing the child does is lets go of the leg and steps back. The horse moves, puts its head back down to graze, and the child will come and take a hold again. There's a communication. Children understand it because they haven't got into this verbal world that limits us. Uh, they they talk with their, I mean they can make mom and dad know they're hungry and they don't have to say anything. Oh yeah. They can tell you when they're tired. Mm. Um, that's the nonverbal world that the horses and the dogs operate in. Yeah. Um, one of my experiments was to take a horse at a hundred yards, and actually talk to that horse with my eyes only. And that horse did know at a hundred yards what part of its body I was looking at. So if I wanted him to turn around, I'd look at his hip, yeah. and he would turn. If I wanted him to send him, I'd just nod my head and, and indicate with body language the direction I wanted him to go, and he would go. Now, I had this horse for some time and worked what? with him, but, yeah, but it still. was just to see what what is their capability. What's the limit of the... Yeah. I don't know. At 100 yards, he, he was still responding by my eyes, so... Yeah. Uh, the limit of that is probably your eyesight. Yeah, right? uh, yeah, my eyesight. Yeah, he my probably has way better than mine. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. This is re- this is really cool. I, I like. I appreciate your time. It's 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 fascinating to learn all this stuff, uh, and I hope I get to see it in person one day, and uh, just to see the smile on the kids' faces, the smile on their parents' faces, because they know where about. it's come from, and they know that the work you do, that you do. So. Um, you know, if anybody needs a sign, <laughs> uh, you know, sign service is, is definitely there for you. But um, if anybody needs to, you know, change a little boy, a little girl's life um, or adult's life, whatever it is, then um, then Carl's definitely got a gift for horse therapy. And, and the stuff that he does is definitely amazing. So, um, Carl, again, appreciate your time. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. This has been awesome. So, guys, I will put all the links in the description to everything, all the information you can find, Carl. And again, yeah, thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, Follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram. This podcast was produced by Mike Hearn and Ian Weston. Mixed by Alan Brown, with music by Chad Duro.